This episode of Mission Log is sponsored by Drobo, a family of safe, expandable, yet simple-to-use storage arrays. Drobos are designed to protect your important data forever. Visit drobo.com to learn more and save $100 off the Drobo of your choice with offer code ML100 at drobostore.com. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Episode 182. Clues. Welcome to Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm John Champion. And I'm Ken Ray. Each week on Mission Log, we bore through an episode of Star Trek, trying to figure out the message. The episode works, because a computer never forgets. And transmission. Did that seem really short to you? Yeah, you know, I was wondering the same thing. I um, <laughs> I don't remember what happened. It's like you blacked out, right? Oh man, you too. Yeah, yeah. Do you think we did a show? I don't know. Should we do it again? I mean, you know, just in case. <sighs> I, I guess. Um, try to remember the last thing you were doing right before you blacked out. Hmm. I think I was about to give the contact information. I, I guess I start there. Um, Mission Log is the address to find us on Facebook, Skype, and Twitter. If you'd like to leave us a voicemail, you can. Our phone number is 323-522-5641. Our email address is missionlog at roddenberry.com. Our show website, including discovered documents, is at missionlogpodcast.com. And please do remember... We may use your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log. I know there was one other thing I was going to do. I was going to say that today's episode is Clues. That's the one where Data may or may not be telling the truth about the crew being passed out for 30 seconds after they passed through a wormhole, um, which sounds really familiar right now. <laughs> well, before we try it all again. Yeah. Um, oh, I man, again, again, or just like again? Again, again. Okay. Again, again, again. Again. Um, I do want to mention that we are very pleased to welcome Drobo as a sponsor of the show. Uh, now, it's worth mentioning that people at Drobo are longtime listeners, and they're pleased to show their support, and we're very happy to have them with us. Um, as we mentioned at the top of the show, you can visit them at Drobo.com, and our listeners can save $100 off of their purchase of any model of Drobo at Drobostore.com by using the discount code ML100. Ken, why don't you tell us what Drobo is? Why don't you make me? No, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, a lot of people know Drobo from uh, from years. I mean, they've been around for a very long time. They're a great sort of um, off-board storage device. A lot of people just think of them as a backup machine, but you can certainly use them to, to store tremendous amounts of data as well. And it kind of depends on like what your use case is. Um, there's the Drobo 5N, which is great for like a, a networked home or maybe a small business. Uh, that is one that uh, tends to be very popular with people. I know, John, you're going to be getting uh, the Drobo 5D. Yes, and I cannot wait to tell people over the coming weeks about kind of my use of that device and, and how it will change my life. <laughs> well, <laughs> we can at least tell people why you chose it, though, because the Drobo 5D has... Super high-speed connectivity. It really is very good for somebody who does a lot of like audio editing or video editing especially, uh, which yes. I imagine is the reason that you picked it up. 
It exactly is. I can fit a tremendous amount of storage on there, mm-hmm. and I will have Thunderbolt ports. So when I connect to my computer, it will be insanely fast and a very steady connection. So very happy about that. Now, what I'm a huge fan of, um, I've got a Drobo Mini that I've had for, golly, I don't know, I guess a couple of years now. Um, mm-hmm. It's a very small machine. I've got a 13-inch MacBook Pro, and if I set my 13-inch MacBook Pro on top of my Drobo Mini... I can't see my Drobo Mini. It's mini. And yet it's got a tremendous amount of storage. Now, I mean, it's good for, like, if I was traveling all over the place and wanted to be sure I could take all of my, you know, uh, stored data with me, it's Mm -hmm. fantastic for that kind of thing. I personally like it because I work in a fairly small space. And and it's it's quiet. It's tiny. I've actually got one of my stereo speakers uh, sitting on top of my Drobo Mini. It, I mean, it's it's practically invisible on my desk, and yet it's perfect for my time machine backups. It's it's also great for you know storing a lot of the stuff that I don't want to leave on my Mac hard drive because it would just bog down my hard drive too much. Now, one of the other things I've always liked about the people at Drobo is they're constantly working on their devices. And that's not to say, well, you come out with a 5N right now, and then next year there's going to be a better 5N. I mean what you've got right now because of the operating system and such that you're able to download, there's a pretty good chance that the, the machine that you buy right now is going to be better next year. I, I mean, I can't guarantee that, but they're they're constantly mm. working on making sure that the device you have not only is great when you get it, but that it can actually get better while you have it. Um, one of the things that they've actually done is with the 5D or the 5N, hey, you'll like this, the addressable mm. volume size now has gone from 16 terabytes to 64 terabytes. So, Crazy. Well, it, it, what's, and what's weird is it's actually impossible <laughs> <laughs> because, okay, so there are five drives or five bays rather in a Drobo, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Right now, the biggest drive you can get uh, that would fit one is an eight terabyte. So okay. let's assume that you got eight terabytes in that one drive. You got four more empty bays, right? Mm-hmm. If you put in eight more or four more eight terabyte drives, that only takes you up to 32 terabytes of storage, right? Mm-hmm. But they promised right. 64 because what they're figuring is eventually we're going to have drives that are bigger than 8 terabytes. And so they've made these machines so that a couple of years from now or whenever we get to sizes that big, the machine's not going to look at it and go, well, I don't know what to do with this. The machine's going to look at it and go, oh, finally, I can actually throw more stuff in here. I like the fact that they're sort of you know uh, thinking about the future. They're making a thing that's not only going to protect your data in case something bad happens in the future, but they're also preparing for a bigger and better future for the devices they've made. How appropriate for Star Trek and how appropriate for our show. I agree. Preparing for a bigger and better future. And in fact, Drobo is kind of like Star Trek's memory alpha. It's just there to keep information forever. <laughs> and, and to remind our listeners, you can save $100 off of your purchase of any model Drobo. There's a lot of them. Ken, you've got the many. I can't wait to talk about the 5D. Just by going to drobostore.com and using the discount code ML100. Obviously, we could talk about this for quite a while, but we've got quite a bit of show to talk about, too. So please, drobo.com to find out more about the models and save that $100 uh, with ML uh, with offer code, excuse me, ML100 at drobostore.com. Now we can't talk about the episode until we talk about trivia. 
So here we go. <laughs> All right. Today's episode, Clues, was written by Bruce D. Arthurs and Joe Minoski. Uh, let's talk again about that open submission policy that Star Trek was famous for. This is actually a pretty early story that was selected. Uh, Bruce Arthurs was a fan of Star Trek, and he submitted this idea on spec. The script needed a little bit of work, though, in terms of dialogue, and since at least one character who had a big role at the time, Wesley Crusher, was no longer on board, <laughs> that had to be changed. Um, let's see, in the original data would have been kidnapped, uh, but that was changed as well since we already had the most toys as a produced and aired episode. Michael Piller gave the job of the rewrite to his friend Joe Minoski. Now, we first mentioned Joe with the story for Legacy, and about this time, he was becoming a permanent fixture on the writing staff. He, of course, would go on to do more track like Deep Space Nine and Voyager and has been working more recently on Brandon Braga's Salem. Funny thing, his IMDb profile uh, bio, the, the biography part of that, is definitely written with tongue firmly in cheek. And in fact, I have to wonder if it's a joke by Joe himself. Uh, so if you're curious... You can go check it out on IMDb. Now, the episode was directed by Les Landau. We all remember Les. Um, he didn't, but actually did, direct parts of Code of Honor. He started out as a second unit director for Next Gen and stuck around long enough to move into the big chair. No, not the, the captain's chair, but the director's chair. He will be with us for a while through Next Gen and more Trek to come. Now, we mentioned Dan Curry before and how he knows a thing or two about martial arts. Uh, tai Chi was the basis for the Klingon Makbara scene at the opening of the show. In the traditional Klingon colors of orange and green, Dan Curry is the man who choreographed that uh, using his Tai Chi knowledge. And we have a mention of the USS Trieste near the beginning. There was one other mention of that starship early in Next Gen in the episode called 11001001. But let's talk about the real life Trieste. Yes, it is an Italian city, but more importantly for our purposes, Trieste was a bathyscaphe built in 1953. It was the first manned vehicle to reach the Challenger Deep in the Mariana Trench in a dive in 1960. The vehicle was designed by, get this, Auguste Picard and hmm. occupied by his son, Jacques Picard, alongside Don Walsh from the U.S. Navy. That was a world record of 35,797 feet at the time. And it was beat by one other person. In 2012, James Cameron made it to the same area a little bit deeper at around 35,900 feet. And in this episode, we have a shout-out to the circadian rhythm. Well, not by name anyway, but Dr. Crusher does mention the internal biological clock that keeps us all ticking on a 24-hour cycle. Interesting note about that. So um, it has been known by science that we are on sort of a, a biological rhythm that keeps us going for about 24 hours. It was assumed that that was actually about 25 hours, a little longer than 25 hours. But more recent studies in the late 90s say that, no, we're actually averaging – every human averages about a 24-hour and 11-minute cycle. And that's, that's figured out by measuring things like body temperature and hormone levels. Mm -hmm. And um, in these studies to try to see if that could be pushed or pulled one way or the other, it, it seemed like you could kind of get it up to about 28 hours. We had to go to extremes 
to try to do that. You had to really alter the light cycles of uh, uh, you know how much light people were seeing, and they even went so far as to block electromagnetic fields around the rooms that people were in when they were doing these studies. Uh, but really, we are pretty much locked down to 24 hours. Now we have to talk about guest stars. We have Johnny. He was the gunman in Captain Picard's holodeck, uh, Dixon Hill story. Johnny was played by Thomas Knickerbocker. He's a theater actor who has also done a lot of soap operas like Young and the Restless and Falcon Crest. He also appeared in, uh, let's see, Dark Skies and Alienation, Boston Legal, even one of the Power Rangers episodes. And uh, similar to the theme here, he provided one of the voices in the video game L.A. Noir. We do welcome back Rona Aldrich as Madeline, Dixon Hill's secretary. And we introduce Pamela Winslow as Ensign McKnight. Uh, she doesn't have a huge resume of professional acting gigs on screen, but she does have numerous Broadway credits. And you can see her in the TV version of Into the Woods as Rapunzel from 1991, same year that this episode was broadcast. This is the first of three appearances for her on Next Gen. And Nurse Ogawa, here played by Patty Yasutake, who we mentioned before, uh, she finally gets the first name in this episode, so we can call her by her first name now, Alyssa. It is Worth in the gymnasium with pajamas. It is Crusher, in sick bay, with plants. It is. Clues. Prologue. The Enterprise has completed its most recent mission early, leaving the crew free to pursue leisure activities. Worf is leading a Tai Chi class. Dr. Crusher is... making snow globes, maybe? And Captain Picard is letting Guinan in on his leisure activity of choice. She's joining him in a Dixon Hill novel, being played out on the holodeck. She's Gloria, from Cleveland. He's Dixon Hill, as usual. There's a heavy in his office who's dead in short order. And now, the mystery. Who was this man? Who killed him? Why is Commander Data calling Dixon Hill's office? Because there's a Class M planet where there shouldn't be one. With apologies, Picard has to cut the game short. There's a 24th century mystery to be solved. But it's cool. Guinan has had about as much of this fun as she can take. On the bridge, Captain Picard is overseeing investigation of the surprising planet. Or he would if not for the even more surprising appearance of a wormhole between the planet and the Enterprise. They go to move to a safe distance when whoosh! The wormhole is on them, or they're through it. It's hard to tell. The only thing that's obvious? Everyone on the bridge has been knocked unconscious, except for Data. Act 1. The effects of the wormhole don't seem to have lasted long. Data says everyone was out for about 30 seconds, except for him. His positronic system is immune to the wormhole's effects. It's an android thing. You wouldn't understand. He scanned the ship. There are no life-threatening injuries. Luckily, they weren't knocked too far off course. They're only about a day's travel from where they were a minute ago. With a wormhole, they could have been anywhere. Crusher says she's getting reports of minor injuries. LaForge says impulse engines and warp drive are fine. Worf says shields and weapons are good. Counselor Troy says she's feeling a bit unfocused, but she'll shake it off. All's well that ends well. Except there was that Class M planet they were going to investigate. Picard wonders whether they should go back. Data says with the wormhole activity in that area, it would be dangerous. Better to send a probe. Picard orders Data to do that. In sick bay... Well, that's odd. 
the snow globes that Dr. Crusher was making, turns out they were some sort of plant containers, and the plants within them are pretty fully grown. On the bridge, the findings from Data's probe are coming in. The Class M planet? <laughs> Not Class M at all. Sensors indicate a hydrogen-helium composition with a frozen helium core. Riker finds that odd, but Data says this planet is obviously not Class M. Maybe the wormhole affected sensors earlier when they thought it was a Class M planet. Or maybe what they saw was the afterimage of another planet on the other side of the wormhole before they went through it. Picard orders Data to run a check of sensors and make sure that they've not been permanently damaged. Otherwise, he thinks this mystery is solved and wants to get back on course. In the captain's ready room, Dr. Crusher comes in with her plant project. Diomedian Scarlet Moss, according to Captain Nerd. Here's the thing, though. Crusher says that these things show a full day's growth. Not the 30 seconds they were knocked unconscious by the wormhole, plus whatever time has passed since they woke. Picard doesn't buy it. Everything on board, the chronometer, the ship's computer, data, everything says they were unconscious for 30 seconds. But Beverly is insistent. The plants show over 24 hours of growth. Act 2. Data has a theory regarding the Diomedian Scarlet Moss growth spurt. It involves extrapolation of a theory from a 22nd century physicist, but it could explain it. LaForge and Crusher want to argue, but Picard cuts them short, sending Data away on some busy work. Now they can argue. Geordi says he can't believe Data proposed what he proposed. Something is obviously up with Data. What they don't know is if he's lying or if whatever affected everyone else affected Data as well. Geordi says he can check the ship's chronometer to see if it's been tampered with, and Crusher says a transporter trace analysis should give them a clearer idea of how long they were out. Make it so, and make it so. Oh, and nobody let on to Data that we think there's something wrong with him. Crusher's back with their transporter trace analysis. Medtech, medtech, medtech. We were out for longer than 30 seconds. Geordi, meanwhile, says the ship's chronometer has been reset. And the only ones aboard the ship who could do that were Geordi or Data. Presented with these facts, the most Data will concede is, that is a mystery. Picard asks Data if he'll consent to being examined by LaForge, and Data agrees. Act 3. Poking around in Data's head, Geordi says he wants Data to be comfortable. Data says, speaking of comfortable, you're not. Geordi says, it just seems that Data isn't being completely honest. They're friends. Does Data have anything else he wants to tell Geordi? Data says he cannot tell Geordi anything more than he already has. Nothing is structurally wrong with Data's head, by the way. Captain Picard thinks back. All of this began with that planet. They thought it was Class M, though the probe showed it wasn't. But Data launched that probe. Picard sends Geordi to check Data's findings. Namely, did he fake the findings from the probe? He also tells everyone to think back to what they were doing when they blacked out, and suddenly Counselor Troy is in pain. She says she'll be fine, she just needs to head back to her quarters. Picard asks Worf to walk her there. Troy's not back in her quarters for five seconds when she screams. Worf has security override the lock on her door, and a terrified Troy says it was the mirror. She looked in the mirror, and it wasn't her. It was her face, but it wasn't her inside. Checked by Dr. Crusher, her brain is fine. As for what happened in the mirror, Troy says the feeling she got was that someone else was staring out from the mirror, as if her face was a mask. Geordi has finished checking Data's work. It looks like Data subbed in pictures of a planet hundreds of light years away. It looks like that, though Data tells Geordi and the captain that he cannot confirm that hypothesis, nor can he deny it. Picard orders Geordi to send another probe to the planet, and Picard tells Data of Deanna's incident 
and asked Data whether it has anything to do with the missing time. Data says he cannot say. Picard wants to know why Data keeps blocking his attempts to find out what's going on. Data says it is not by choice. What does he mean by that? He cannot say. So Data would let Deanna, his friend, risk injury? Data counters with a question. Which would you choose? The fate of one or the fate of the entire crew? Are you saying that by not helping, you're actually protecting all of us? I am not saying that at all. I am simply suggesting another possible explanation. Approaching hopelessness, Captain Picard gives Data a direct order. Tell me what actually happened. Data says he cannot. So what would he have Picard do? Data says he is apparently guilty of falsifying Enterprise records, of interfering with an investigation, and of disobeying a direct order from his commanding officer. Picard's duty seems clear. Does Data realize that a court-martial means he'd be drummed out of Starfleet and that he'd probably be taken apart to figure out what the heck has gone wrong? Data says he understands. Act 4. Somewhere in Act 3, Worf showed up in sickbay. He said he was there because the captain told the crew to report anything out of the ordinary. It's his wrist. Act 4 starts with Dr. Crusher explaining to Picard that Worf's wrist was broken, reset, and mended with equipment from the Enterprise during the missing day. Crusher is starting to think that they were all awake for the day they don't remember. Worf pipes up. One of the only individuals on board who could have broken his wrist is Commander Data. Eh, Picard has trouble with that, though. Yes, Data could have broken Worf's wrist, but Picard's starting to think that Data's doing what Data's doing because he thinks it's in the best interest of the Enterprise. On the bridge, the probe launched by Geordi is near the mystery planet. Class M, and no indication of any wormhole at all. That, says Picard, is because there is no wormhole. Never was. It was a ruse. He's now convinced that they were all awake for the missing day, perhaps fighting for their lives. Well, they're alive, so they won, right? Not necessarily. They may have tied. They may have brokered a compromise. He'd be cool not knowing, except they have to know what happened with Data. Otherwise, he'll never be trusted with Starfleet duty again. So they head back to the planet. Shields up and weapons ready, they're back at the planet, though an energy field has appeared between the planet and the ship. A sort of energy probe hits the Enterprise shields with seemingly no effect. But there is an effect. Counselor Troy has been taken over. She goes to Data's quarters to let him know that the plan has failed. Data did not know that they were back in the planet's space. He says destroying the Enterprise would do no good. He needs more time. It may be possible to salvage the situation. Data is called to the bridge. Back where it all began. Data tells the captain they must leave immediately. To stay would put them all at grave risk. Still, he cannot say more. Geordi missed nothing in his examination. Data is not being controlled by an outside force. He just cannot say more. Until he does. When the walk-in, controlling Counselor Troy, walks onto the bridge, Data says he was ordered not to tell anyone what happened during the missing day. And that order came from Captain Picard. Act 5. Picard is surprised by Data's revelation, but there's no time to pursue it. The energy field is closing on the Enterprise. Riker orders maximum shields, though Data suggests varying the shield intensity and shape. And Picard tells Worf to do what Data says. It's working for now, but Data says the Paxons will eventually prevail. Well, who the heck are the Paxons? Turns out they're a planet of xenophobes, isolationists. They don't like anyone knowing who or where they are. 
Usually what happens is ships hit the wormhole. It's not really a wormhole, by the way. It's a trap that knocks beings unconscious and puts them in a biochemical stasis. Ships hit that. The Paxons move them to another part of space. The beings wake, thinking they've hit a wormhole, count their blessings, and keep on going. But the stun didn't work on Data. He woke the crew before the Paxons could take over and move the ship. In flashback, we see that it was the walk-in Paxson in Troy's body that broke Worf's wrist. It also explained to Picard that the Enterprise would have to be destroyed. He explains that if they destroy the Enterprise, more ships will come to find out what happened. Destroying the Enterprise will hasten the discovery of their existence, not hide it. But this biochemical stasis thing, it could erase our memories, right? The Paxson says it could, but it would take about a day to rig. Also, it wouldn't work on data. So Picard orders Data to never, ever, ever tell anyone what happened here, ever. Data agrees, the Paxson agrees, and the crew gets to work eliminating any indications of what happened. Of course, they missed a few things. Beverly's plants, Worf's wrist, Troy's hallucinations. Clues that the Enterprise crew felt led to a mystery that had to be solved. This time we'll get it right. Once again, the Paxson agrees, and the crew goes to work. Cut to the crew of the Enterprise on the floor. All but Data. They went through a wormhole, you see. Data says everyone was out for about 30 seconds, except for him. His positronic system is immune to the wormhole effects. It's an android thing, you wouldn't understand. All's well that ends well. Except there was that Class M planet they were going to investigate. Picard wonders whether they should go back. Data says, with the wormhole activity in that area, it would be dangerous... Better to send a probe. Picard orders Data to do that and set some orange cones around the area. The end. Man, that was so cool. It was frozen helium to the core. <laughs> I like that. That's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like good, that. Right. I was very excited yeah. to hear about the... Uh, I, they didn't say it exactly. What they said was uh, send a probe back there and, and send an alert uh, to Starfleet but mm-hmm. that was that was orange cone talk all over for me. Oh, totally. And it's been yeah. a while since we've had that. It has been. Yeah. yeah. So places so that should have should have had cones and didn't get the cones. Yep. Yeah. It's good yeah. to see them back again. That's it's very right. exciting. Right. So we open up with a lot of shots of people just doing things, mm-hmm. and we've been getting more of that lately. And I kind of like that. We got the Klingon Tai Chi, um, and I wonder if this was partly because of the comfort of the show sticking around longer than the original series. Like in 1960s TV and particularly with Star Trek, you didn't have a lot of guarantees. So you didn't exactly eat up time with extra activities. You Hmm. didn't have like, Oh, and and now this guy goes home and now this guy goes to the gym and now, you know, and and now the doctor is playing with Moss. Like you just didn't do those things. Yeah. But it's interesting that, that next generation has this sort of, relaxed lived in feel at this point you know they they passed that magic 79 episodes and we have a lot more time to relax well it's going to be partly that and also partly the difference in storytelling right i mean we've talked Mm -hmm. especially Mm -hmm. this season about how we're learning so much more about the characters oh yeah so for the first time ever we probably care what they do you know during boring time Yes, not boring time right. necessarily, but during time that's like we've got to save this or we've got to get here. It's like oh, we got like we got an hour and do some tai chi. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. why not? <laughs> right. I think we should. Right, it's kind of nice to see that. Um, I, I think Whoopi is great as Guinan as Gloria. Um, mm-hmm. I, I question that Guinan doesn't know what a mystery is. 
somebody who's been around for at least as long as a Time Lord, yeah. <laughs> you know. I didn't really think she didn't know what a mystery was. I just thought she couldn't believe that that was how Picard chose to pass his time. Yeah. That's what was but, but, but fun she, for him. Yeah, but she knows Picard well. And, and yes. she knows that he, he's a, a strong intellect and he might be challenged by by just that kind of thing. Now, I will say, I thought this was the worst Dixon Hill he's done so far. Why is that? Is it the accent? Yeah. Yeah. Because he's never yeah. done that accent before, as far as I can remember. No. Usually it's Captain no. Picard in a trench coat and a hat. You know, and mm-hmm. like thinking like Dixon Hill, but not pretending to, not doing whatever that accent was. Because if memory serves, Dix is in California, right? Yep. All right. San Francisco. San Francisco, yeah. yeah. So, So really, he needs that New York accent there. Right. <laughs> I'm pretty Thoroughly. sure that's exactly what they were Thoroughly. all talking like in the 40s. Well, it, it's a new thing for Picard to try out. Yeah. You know, and the, the, the love, holodeck won't judge. I would so much <laughs> rather hear Patrick Stewart try a California, like a... Like the Californians? Dude, you were like totally harshing my mellow with that <laughs> gun. You know, I mean, like whatever. I'd love to hear right. him do that. There's, a, there's an accent of like somebody who's from the Bay Area... Right. That and all the time that I lived there, I could never master it, but you could hear it. And that was not it that I just did, by the way. But that would be probably what he would approach. Anyway, I just I didn't understand yeah. the you know sort of New York tough guy um, yeah. in the city by the bay. Oh, maybe, maybe it's a whole meta thing. Maybe it's uh, a particular thing that Dixon Hill had to do in that particular <laughs> scene in okay. that book. And Picard is trying to play that. We'll, we'll give him that. All right, if you want to. Um, something I want to point out, because it's probably worth pointing out. I don't know if we normally would, but Data, Data is leaning hmm. in that early shot on the bridge. He He's straight up. He's got one foot up on kind of the console leg. Was his leg tired? Is he pretending to do what humans do? It's a very kind of Riker-ish, like I'm just sort of, uh, I'm so casually leaning against this. Yeah. Um, like I'm your buddy. He's uh, um, He's continuing the method. Mm-hmm. His, oh yeah, his twenty fourth yeah. century method. Like if if I had been standing here for a very long time, my leg might be tired, and I might put it up here. So I'll try that and see what happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah, it, it's a, an interesting thing to see and not see a big deal made of it. You know, I guess because something something that out of step for data. People would be like, "Oh, data, that's a little." I don't odd. know. Remember that time <laughs> he know? showed up with a beard? I mean, mm-hmm. he does mm-hmm. odd things, whistling. He does. You don't hear yeah. anybody else walking around whistling that much, but I mean, he'll try it every now and then. Yeah. 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 Um, they keep using the phrase minor mystery in the script, and, and some writer must have thought it was just really cute. And in fact, the word mystery is said 15 times. You're kidding me. And no, I'm not kidding you. That is more times than they said booby trap in that episode. Um,. Wait, which one? Oh, I, hang on. I don't know. The Enterprise uh, incident. The Enterprise incident. Yeah, yeah, the one that had the booby trap. <laughs> the one that had, it might not have been that episode. Anyway, that's a lot of yeah. times. So, <laughs> mystery said fifteen times. That's kind of uh, that's kind of crazy. That, that's more times than they said devils do. <clears throat> what? Okay, we said we had to do it one more time. I'm sorry. <laughs> what would take good? And good, that was good. the time. Three's three's three the charm. Three. There you go. Yeah. Would anyone else have been invested in this if it weren't for Picard? Because he, he kind of plants the seed of doubt. You know, Crusher really is into it once she sees her moss, but Picard tries to play it down for a moment. But really, it seems like he's more invested in hunting down the mystery here than anybody else. Like, I could see them getting back to Starbase with a clock that's three days ahead or three days behind, or, you know, and they show up and 
you know, they, they tell Jordy and or data and they're like, yeah, space is weird. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Why did they, I guess the question that I have is why, well, are we going to talk more about the, the weird timey, why meanness of this episode later? Yeah, sure. Okay. Why not? Well then let's, yeah. then let's not right now. Cause we'll shelve it. Okay. Yeah. We'll hurt, we'll hurt our heads many times if we try to figure out how this would work. You mentioned beards. And there's a shot in the conference room where Jordy says, well, why didn't our beards grow? And then, boom, you cut to the bearded one in the room. <laughs> that was masterful editing. Yeah, that's that's pretty – so – but their beards did grow. Nobody else has a beard. But their beards – okay, okay but here's the thing. Beard. We know that they were – so 24 hours, right? Because mm-hmm. they say, well, we could erase your memory. It's going to take about a day. Mm-hmm. And so Picard says, okay, everybody, you know, get cleaned up and get rid of any clothes. And uh, be sure, by the way, that you go ahead and shave. <laughs> right. Because right. what? I, uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, we, we are actually going to end up talking several times about what didn't work, I'm going to guess. Oh, yeah. As, yeah, far, as, the, uh, as far as the ruse is concerned. Um, I like Picard's question to Data. If someone could have affected him without his knowing. And, of course, Data can't answer that if it was without his knowledge. It's like uh, when you go to the airport and the, the – I don't think they do it anymore, but they would ask you, um, has anyone – how did they phrase it? It's like, has anybody tampered with your bag that you know of? It's like, well, if I didn't know it, then I wouldn't know to answer that. So no, I, they, I never heard them ask it in such a, 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 an unambiguous way. I think it was, has anybody that you didn't know asked you to you know carry anything or do anything or has your luggage been out of your – Control or something along mm. those lines. I don't remember them saying like. Oh, oh no! I I remember very definitely the the ambiguous, and it could have just been the particular place that I was, but it, it was phrased in such a way that I I thought I guess for a moment there what Data thought. Well, Were if you... I didn't know, then I wouldn't know. <laughs> Were you flying out of Bob Hope? Because that sounds like a comedy question. It does, right? <laughs> if yeah. you're flying out of Burbank, maybe they're doing that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah right. All right. the time. Um, right. There was actually one. There was one sort of interesting i don't want to say it was a contentious moment because most of the time data's just like i just i can't talk to you about this i just cannot talk to mm-hmm. you about this but there's one thing where where picard says um ask data if he'll if he'll submit to examination by geordie and and picard says yeah or data says yeah i'll do that and and picard says thank you and he turns to the security person and says will you escort uh, uh commander data to engineering mm-hmm. and data says i know the way sir I mean, there's like yeah. a, there's sort of like a, okay, I, I get where this is going now, but I'm still your guy. Don't treat me like yeah. that. Uh, of course, right. security ends up going with him anyway. But I thought it was kind of an interesting, it was a good, it was a good moment. It was a good sort of like, okay, this is getting dicey, but I'm going to be cool, but I need to let you know this is getting dicey. Might you say that uh, Data's feelings were hurt? I would not say that Data's feelings were hurt. I, I would say that Data was still trying to play it cool. Yeah. I would say that this is actually the least emotional we've seen Data in a while. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Throughout this whole episode. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, um, you'll be surprised to find not once do I say, well, we know Data feels X, Y, or Z in this episode because we don't, <laughs> right, we don't, right. I mean, he's, he's, well, we can't, not even we can't, happen. yeah, we can't get to what he's actually doing yet, but we will get there. Yeah, he's just doing the, yeah, the other thing. Um, <laughs> I, I like how Jordy wants to have kind of a private conversation with Picard on the bridge, but then he just walks in this long arc right past everyone on the bridge. <laughs> While they're talking, like it's a really interesting moment because he he takes uh, Picard is in a conversation with uh, Diana and Worf, and he's like, "Hey, Captain, uh, can I speak to you for a moment?" And they walk away, 
but he's walking past everyone while they're having this conversation. It's an interesting thing because the bridge, clearly it's the most important set in all of Star Trek, but it's only just a finite, small amount of space. So you've got to play all these scenes where some scenes you want somebody to overhear what's being said, but other things, uh, other scenes you don't. Yeah. So you just have to sort of play it like that and, and assume that it, that it works and that was i thought that was kind of a, a funny moment there it was an interesting um, it was an interesting sorkin style walk and talk mm-hmm. but really mm-hmm. just around the you're right around the the, the room yeah. <laughs> Not even like right. the, down the corridor right and to the left and into the turbo lift it's like no let's uh, yep. walk past uh weapons yeah. walk past the science day oh we're here Again. Oh, yeah. The, yeah. This dialogue is about a half a horseshoe length. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's how long it'll take. You don't want to go all the way to the captain's ready room for that, though, because it seriously has two sentences. Yeah, right. <laughs> you can't right, right, get right, in right, there right. and be like, oh, so this and this. Yeah. Really? And all the way here for that? Really? You could have just told me that on the way, right. Picard would say. <laughs> so, you know, I, right. I, I get uh, why, well, they, we're, why they did yeah, it. While, while we're here, we'll have some tea. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and then we'll go back out after enough time has passed. Nope, no point in not. Nope. Uh, the Paxons terraformed their planet in order to conceal it from intruders, just like I would conceal something from an eight-year-old by making it look like, say, an ice cream parlor with a roller coaster. <laughs> you know? It wasn't quite like that. But yeah, I think it's exactly like that. All right. Yeah. If, you, if you think it's exactly like that, that's fine. There was one thing that I really wanted to see happen in this episode. Okay. Um, the part where Picard orders Data to never, ever, ever tell anybody ever about the Paxons or about, you know, what actually happened and all that stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Picard says, I'm going to give you an order and you may not be able to work it into your programming. And Data says, I'm a Starfleet officer required to follow any order you give me. And I wanted uh, Picard to just go, say can't. I really feel for Data in this episode, and I bear a similar burden. I have been ordered to never tell you, that Ken, and Ray, are actually the same person. Imagine if I ever let that get out. Alright, uh, confession, Ken. Alright. And, and, and audience, who, who might be listening, but right now <laughs> it's just me and you. <laughs> um, I don't really know what the topics are here. Okay. Uh, because, uh, so we talked about skepticism last week, mm-hmm. and Picard is good at attention to detail. He, he's good at not just letting things hang or assuming the obvious answer is the right one. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, okay, and then? You know what else we talked about last week? We talked about how silly it was that Ardra made Data the arbiter because she assumes that he couldn't lie. Mm. And, and we said... Couldn't Picard just order him to lie? Yeah. <laughs> and turns out, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> totally can. Fact, totally did. He absolutely can do that. Now, I'm wondering how many times you have to say never, ever, ever for that to not be superseded by the next time you say really, really, really. Yeah, but, yeah exactly. Yeah, Picard saying don't do this superseded by Picard saying do this. Which Picard do you believe? Exactly. Or, or don't do this and do this vice versa. Right. Right. Don't right, tell yeah. anybody. Not even me. Unless it's me. But only if I look right. really serious. But not just like minorly perturbed. 
<laughs> it's sort of well, it, it's sort of like uh, Gene Wilder going into the room with Frankenstein's monster and young Frankenstein. Whatever I do, <laughs> don't open that door. Right. Open the door. You know? <laughs> I was kidding. Open the door. Yeah, open the door. <laughs> yeah. um, now, this is an interesting episode, and I feel like, okay, clearly there are things to make light of, um, but but we, we do that, and then we also try to find the things that are interesting and, and serious topics to discuss. And I think this episode leaves me with some questions, but they all feel like kind of functional in-universe questions. They're, they're not what we usually try to do on our show, which is what are the big topics? What are the things that we kind of can, can carry with ourselves? What is the show saying about the human condition? I'm left with all the in-universe things, like how many aliens let us have a do-over? Hmm. And how many this aliens seems, let us have another do-over? Right. Because right. this seems like a real rarity. Um, if the Enterprise were to to run into a bunch of angry Romulans or, you know, insert other species here or there, you know, can you really tell a Ferengi, <laughs> okay, we were kidding, we'll do it over again, just wait, we'll get it right this time. It's actually funny to me, though, that you say how many Romulans will do that, because according to you, all of them. All the Romulans. <laughs> the Romulans are always be like, oh, we could so yeah. kill you, oh, eh, but we don't not, feel like it today. Yeah, yeah. Right. so... The Romulans actually are a constant do-over, at least in next gen. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, but you're but you're right. I mean, that sort of. Although Picard's argument was actually a good one, and and Picard's argument Which is argument? still a good one. Look, they can come back to that planet every week if they want to, because Picard is absolutely right. If the uh, if the Paxons blow up the Enterprise, you mm. you pretty much just invited Starfleet. Yeah, to to come and discover you and you know check out your water slides and whatever else it is you're hiding <laughs> that you don't right. want people to know about. It's absolutely right. there. Um, yeah, as far as as far as big topics, big ideas. I mean, we should let people. We should remind people. That's why this show was put together. Yeah, and 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 so if it seems like we're maybe reaching on some of them, because I got one coming up in a bit that feels a bit like a reach, but you know. Some guy came to us and said, no, seriously, just like take it apart. Try to find something. And so, you know, we try to find something. I will say I have I have utter sympathy for Data in this episode. Mm. Not that he cares because he has no feelings. Mm -hmm. um, I had an Atari 2600 when I was a kid. You know, that was one yeah. of you know, like uh, yeah. asteroids and Space Invaders and Pac-Man and just amazing video game. Probably what started the video game revolution, I would say. Sure, there was the Magnavox yeah. Odyssey before that. And yeah, there was some sort of Pong something or other. But the Atari 2600 <laughs> was really the one. Yeah. And uh, I also had a room at the far end of the house. And, you know, I'd get killed by whatever game I was playing. And I would yell at the game because I was like 11, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe 12. I can't remember. I was a kid. And I'm not saying I wouldn't do it now, but I don't play as many video games <laughs> as I used to. Um, right. So a few years later, I got a computer, uh, VIC-20 or Commodore 64. And my mom actually said when the computer came into the house, I don't want to hear you yelling at this the way you, you yelled at the Atari. And I actually told her at the time I knew that this was different because rather than playing games on this, computers were about receiving instruction. If it did something that I didn't like, that meant that I had done something wrong. I had given it bad or incorrect instruction. Mm. And this should be the first thing we think every time a robot goes nuts and tries to keep us from doing what we want or need to do in science fiction and in reality, I suppose, from the racist 
artificial intelligence that Microsoft let loose on Twitter mm-hmm. in the early part of 2016, mm-hmm. it learned that from interaction with people. Yay. Right. The HAL 9000 right. killed uh, Dave and Frank, uh, not because the HAL 9000, well, killed Frank, excuse me, unless you read the books, in which case it only, you know, froze him. Um, but it, it did what it did, not because it went nuts, but because it was giving contradictory orders. It was told to complete its mission above anything else. And I don't think anybody thought necessarily that that meant sacrificing Dave and Frank, although I also don't think they would have cared because, I mean, it had a mission to do that was supposed to supersede everything. Uh, computers do what we tell them. And Data did what we told him in this episode. And it was just yeah. – it was interesting that Picard was like, do you understand that they will rip you to shreds trying to figure out what went wrong with you? Well, they never would have because it was his programming. It was the programming. It was It was the tinkering by – uh, Picard, which I found, you know, kind of interesting. Data doesn't yeah. go nuts. Yeah. Data was, you know, programmed to go nuts. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it's a cool, it's a cool idea that you could do that to Data. And then it sort of leaves you with this thing at the end of the episode that um, for everybody who's in Starfleet, for as good as the communication is in Starfleet, for all of this and and for all the transparency, theoretically, that they have, that Data actually is the only living being within Starfleet that knows this information mm-hmm. and has been through it twice, <laughs> you know, yeah. and and can't and won't release that. And, you know, for all the times that we've pointed out that the Enterprise computer is recording information, maybe even when you don't want it to, the Enterprise computer is aware of what's going on around it. So that's another big thing that has to be reset. Um, and you wonder if there's a backup of a backup somewhere is there some remnant of that information right um mm-hmm. well i mean and but data doesn't just have a remnant of the information he lived it he and it, he has perfect recall of everything he's ever done mm-hmm. so he could actually spill that if the conditions were right could picard yeah. order data to forget it oh like order order data to erase that part of his brain i guess he could or even just order him to forget it it will yeah. be inaccessible to you from this point forward. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, Data, Data, I guess, has that ability because if you think about it, when Sung uh, radioed back for Data to come to see him yeah. in, uh, in Brothers. He went on autopilot. He did, and he didn't remember any of it. Yeah. Huh. Until he was told to remember it. Yeah. That's an interesting idea. It's kind of weird. But then there, there is also the question, though, so what happens when they get there? So they're going to get wherever they're going to get at least two days later than they were supposed to get there, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. That's, is that not, not going to tell somebody something? Worf's wrist was broken, by the way. Yeah, right. By, okay. by Troy. By the body of Troy. <laughs> I mean, he says, yeah. almost nobody on the ship could break my wrist. Maybe Data. But that's it. <laughs> and uh, add, add Troy to that. So well, yeah. Data and Troy, but that's it. So did, yeah. the, did the walk-in actually like give her superhuman strength, or is she just that good with the martial arts, or what is that exactly? Because, uh, but whatever. I, I'd, say, I'd say all of the above. I think it's the only way to, to kind of jibe that with what's going on there. Here's the, the thing, the, though. The entity does it. Mm-hmm. O'Brien still has the torn whatever in his elbow. And I know mm-hmm. it's been repaired, but it might still show some damage. Worf now has a fracture. Yeah, And yes, it's healed, but Worf still has a fracture. Something may happen someday. They'll be like, so when did you break your wrist? And Worf's like, I never broke my wrist. Oh. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, kind of. And did also did Troy, uh, did uh, Crusher, excuse me, have to like reset new plants? 
Yeah, I would think so. Or, or just get to kill the existing ones and say, right. oh, well, well, I guess I killing guess the existing ones is no big deal, right? Yeah. But you know, yeah. resetting the new ones. And does anybody keep a written journal in the twenty fourth century? I, oh, yeah, no, apparently not. Or doodle. Yeah, right. <laughs> or yeah. anything. Yeah. Yeah, that that's man. Yeah, there, there's so many. Well, well, th- this is the problem. There, there are all kinds of problems with yeah. the timeline here. Okay, so assuming for a moment that by the 24th century and with warp drive, we have somehow conquered the problem of time dilation, mm-hmm. and assuming everyone is sinking back to a clock in San Francisco, mm-hmm. so uh, Starfleet headquarters. They should do it in New York. San Francisco is three hours behind. Okay, <laughs> that's fine. That's fine. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> what happens when the Enterprise clocks are actually synced again back to standard time? Because that's the first thing that Data said that they should do right. the first time around. So they lost at least a day the first time around. Mm-hmm. Then they stopped to solve the mystery. Then they lost more days, presumably more than one, probably two, maybe even a little more than two. So back to your thing, doesn't anyone on board keep a calendar or wear a watch or have any other way of telling the passage of time? Because, again, all I can think of is that they get back to a star base, they sync the clocks, and they're like, wow, three days off this time? <laughs> Just space is weird. <laughs> space is really weird. Yeah. Um, and they kind of botch it uh, because at the beginning they had traveled uh, a day's distance, half a parsec. Mm-hmm. But the probe that they launched pretty much just goes back to the planet in no time. Remember, they they launch a, a probe, and even though the probe is sending back false information that data had planted in it, they still realistically have to, have to give that probe time to get back to where it was supposed to go and then transmit that information back to the Enterprise. That happens in about five minutes. That's well, I mean, we don't know what the passage of time actually was, but you're right. There's not going to be a warp nacelle on a probe. Huh. Mm-hmm. Wow, that yeah. part hadn't even occurred to me. Yeah, that's yeah. kind of a mess. In an episode yeah, full of holes, it. that's you know, that's that's like a wormhole <laughs> size hole that you yeah. just you just there drove us another through one. there. Yeah, nice. There's another one. Um, and, and I guess you know we're left with the big what if at the end, which is whether or not the fakery works this time. Like, mm-hmm. how much mystery are they okay living with? Before somebody says, you know, this is a little too weird this time. We can't just chalk it up to weird space stuff with time dilation. Okay, maybe the clocks are off by 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. Maybe we're okay with that. You know, <laughs> we, we know that satellites right now above the Earth have to be adjusted for time dilation or else none of our GPS would work. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, but they're, you know, light years away from Earth. So there, there might be a lot. But they're still under the pretense of the show keeping extremely accurate information extremely accurate records and like i said the enterprise computer is just watching and listening to everything yeah you'd think (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah. um there was another thing that i I found myself thinking about and this is sort of the big one that's kind of a reach except i don't know that it Mm -hmm. really is a reach and i'll tell you what it was honestly based on it was based on when picard was standing there talking to the paxson I can't mm-hmm. remember if it was in the flashback or if it was actually when when it was happening. But there's a guy back um, behind the horseshoe mm-hmm. facing away from the camera, but he keeps looking over his shoulder. And I mm-hmm. couldn't help thinking, what, what what is that guy thinking right there, right? Because mm-hmm. what Picard is talking about is, hey, you can erase our memories, right? 
<laughs> I found myself wondering how much is too much to give up for somebody else's comfort? How much is too much to give up for somebody else's wishes? Um, yeah. And yeah. up the long ladder, Riker would rather die than give up some of his cells for cloning, right? Yeah. That same Riker has no problem with an alien wiping out a day. Now, granted, they spent most of that day preparing for the alien to wipe out that day. Mm -hmm. But I'm thinking in any other episode, and I know this is an episode of Columbo, right? Yeah. And the way this episode has to go is Picard has to find out that Picard is the murderer. Because mm-hmm. they're looking for murderers in Columbo. Mm-hmm. I mean, Picard has to find out that he's actually the axis. This mystery that he's been trying to solve this whole time, he's he's the mystery. He's what caused right. this whole chain of events, right? Right. And it's only because we need this to be that that Picard is ever going to be cool saying, oh, well, I got an idea. Just erase part of my brain. Right? Yeah. <laughs> because there is yeah, no way. Yeah. I mean, Picard actually, Kirk, for crying out loud, would have stood there and gone, no, listen. You live mm-hmm. in a universe that's full of other beings, and you're just going to have to deal with that. And I don't want to like kill it. you, yeah, and you'll like it. We <laughs> yeah. call it freedom, and you'll like it All right. a lot. Right. Uh, the line I was thinking of is, I don't want to kill you, and you don't want to be dead. I mean, really, I mean, because mm-hmm. there's no way there's no way Kirk's going to be like, oh, yeah, no, a thousand people, just erase all of our memories. We're fine with that. I was thinking about somebody who just, you know, like, so they're, they're, they're ripping out the pages of their journal, and they don't understand why they have to rip out the pages of their journal, and they're walking <laughs> down the hall to put them in the incinerator, and they're... Oh, there's the loveliest woman they've ever seen in a ship full of a thousand people. You'd think he would have seen her before, but he never hadn't. What's she doing? She's ripping out the pages of her journal, too. And they fall in love, and that's all gone tomorrow. (laughs) It's just like, on what planet, in what star system, are Picard and Riker, just those two alone, going to be like, oh, yeah, no, I think we're cool if you just play with our brains. Please, please, just play with our brains, because it's really more important that nobody knows you're here. Well, and then do you do do you then open up a very interesting problem of consent where the captain can make that call for everybody? I else know, on the right? Ship, you know? I'm guessing they didn't even tell us. We're down there peeling potatoes the next day we wake up, half like, the potatoes oh, are peeled. Potatoes. One yeah. of the, half of them are peeled, and we don't even remember how that happened. Did you right. did you do that? You're so nice. <laughs> no, I didn't do that. I'm not that nice. Oh, well then I yeah. should we tell anybody? <laughs> just finish we can finish early and do some tai chi <laughs> right right um I, I guess if there's one more big theme here that i like exploring it, it it's kind of this idea about the improbability and the impossibility of getting away with something especially when it's a massive conspiracy there, there's just there's too many details there's too many clues that are always left behind whether they want to or not there's so much going on that I find it extremely hard to believe that even as careful as they may be the second time around, it seemed to me that the second time around, there were even more factors involved just because there was more time mm-hmm. that had passed. Yeah. And the bigger and bigger and bigger that, you know, call it what is it, what it is, the bigger that conspiracy gets, the harder it is to hide those tracks that they, I, you know what, we might need to come back and check on them in three or four years because they might just be going through the same thing every other week. Just like, no, 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 no. We, we got it wrong last time. We'll get it right this time. Okay, reset the clocks again. How far are we off? Three years? Oh, okay. Four years? Great. <laughs> just keep resetting the clocks. I think I may have made a mistake. Ken and Ray, 
are two totally separate people. Anyone who tells you otherwise is lying or has been ordered to lie or something. Interestingly, it was Captain Picard on the bridge with the alien. Mm. <laughs> Clues! Which mm-hmm. is kind of like Clue, but different. Um, time now to do the messages, morals, meanings part of the whole thing and find out whether the episode stands the test of time. Clues, John, uh, does this episode hold up as far as you're concerned? <sighs> there are so many things that don't work here. Mm-hmm. Um Starting even out with, with the opening scene with with uh, Dixon Hill, it's kind of a waste, especially because Guinan is never seen again. Um, incidentally, she was <laughs> well, not. She's not that... seen again this episode. Well, this episode. Yeah. <laughs> uh, good point. Spoiler. Um, she she was originally not scripted to be in that scene. Okay. So it's kind of a last minute addition to uh, to put her in there. Um, you know, good for them from a production angle for making a bottle show, shave a little bit off the budget. Yeah. That's fine. We know that Star Trek does that and has to do that from time to time. Um, as a standalone episode, it kind of works because it's entertaining. It held my attention, but it only held it the first time. Mm-hmm. The replay value is terrible. Yeah, The mystery is for them to solve, not the viewer. Um, we've talked about other episodes, and very recently, that have great replay value because the clues that are in there for the audience are, are in the characters. You know, you watch an episode like Legacy or Reunion or, or any of these, and, and what's happening is happening for the audience to, to sort of live through those characters and what they're doing. In this, I felt very detached from what was going on. It was sort of like a game being played out on screen. Oh, okay, th- this character goes here to find that thing, and then that character goes there to find that thing. It was almost like, well, yeah, I think that's exactly it. It's somebody else playing a game with you watching. So you're a lot less invested in, in what's going on. Um, the first time through, like I kind of remembered what this episode was, mm-hmm. um, but I was still entertained enough. By the second time going through it, I just thought, well, other than watching Data, um, because Brent Spiner does have some very interesting reactions once you know from the beginning yeah. that he's in on it. There are some interesting things to to get there out of the performance, but the rest of it there really isn't. And it's no fault of the actors. It's just the way this thing breaks down. So maybe this is one of those episodes that to say to say that it holds up or doesn't hold up now is really a loaded question to ask. Did it work at the time? Probably very well. Mm -hmm. You know, when this aired the first time, great. It's a fun little romp and you get to see them do things and solve a mystery. But flash forward several years and if you remember this one at all, like I said, it probably isn't going to hold up for you. And and certainly not from the position that we take now watching the show, Mm -hmm. uh, asking whether or not it holds up. What about you? Uh, Brent Spiner is great, and he's understated, and that's actually really fantastic. I mean, sometimes he's great because he does the dance, you know, like mm-hmm, in that, like mm-hmm. like a couple of weeks ago when when Keiko and um, and Miles were getting married. Yeah, 
the more boxed in he gets, the less emotive he becomes. I know he's not ever emotive anyway, but there's no like, you know, quizzical look. There's no there's a fantastic moment where Picard is asking him a question and and he almost looks like he has shut down. Yeah, that's I mean, so it's well acted um, in that respect. The, the, the conversation between uh, Picard and Data, you know, when Picard says, I'm going to order you and you're going to tell me. And Data says, mm-hmm. I'm not going to tell you. And Picard's like, man, what am I supposed to do with you? I mean, and it, it really is great. I mean, it really is. It's two characters talking to each other very point, you know, very matter of factly about what's going on with them. It's it's two actors doing a, a really good job, understated on both parts, but doing a really good job of conveying that. Yeah, there are still there are still problems. Um, why did the Troy thing happen? Why did she look in the mirror oh, and see what yeah. she saw? I mean, all of a sudden it goes from clues to voodoo. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? I mean, we, mm-hmm. so like so magically she remembers because this alien was in her body, except this alien is not in her body anymore. But she looks in the mirror and what? She's got some sort of residue left. I mean, has she been slimed? Right. I don't know what's happened there exactly. Right. And that took me out of it. I mean, when that happened, when you introduced almost the the haunted factor of it, then I was kind of bummed. Um <sighs> I think I probably liked it a little bit more than you did even the second time because I like the whole thing of, you know, this is their fault. I mean, this is Picard's mm-hmm. fault. I don't want to say fault, except they're all looking to figure out, well, what's wrong with Data? Well, nothing. Data is actually doing exactly what he was programmed to do, exactly right. what he was told to do. He is following orders to the letter. And and so that part of it I really enjoyed. Um but yeah, it's I don't know. Yeah, the first time, as you say, the first time it's good. If you particularly like watching Brent Spiner, but not be you know, like over the top Brent Spiner, this mm-hmm. is not Sherlock mm-hmm. Holmes Brent Spiner. This is this is robot Brent Spiner, which I know is what he's supposed to be playing the whole time, but he really is this time. Yeah, um, yeah. I I am so on the fence about whether it holds up. If you don't remember hmm. it at all, sure. Uh, if you do remember it at all, ew, you'd have to tell me. <laughs> Yeah, well, a bit, you know, that, that's the difficulty with this question is when you and I ask each other at the end of an episode of Mission Log if something holds up, we sort of get to make up our own rules about what that means. Yeah. You know, because we, we may look at something like, um, you know, when we reviewed the animated series mm-hmm. of Star Trek, we would constantly say, well, of course the animation doesn't hold up. Of course the production values don't hold up. But there's a story here that holds up because it's engaging and it's entertaining. You know, And, and this is one of those where, okay, Next Gen is firing on all cylinders. You've got great writers. You've got great actors. The, the sort of production techniques seem to all have fallen in line. And it's a well-oiled machine. So there's no fault of the production here. It's just sort of that anomaly where a story doesn't necessarily hold up because, well, the replay value isn't there or, you know, maybe you feel like it's a step away from what they had been building up at the beginning of of the season. Which, interestingly, you know, the last episode, Devil's Due, was purely TOS. Yeah. So a big, big step away and also maybe kind of on the fence about whether that holds up or or at least it holds up for different reasons. Yeah. Um, that's one where we said, OK, it's important, but maybe it's not great. But that's OK. You know, I, I said earlier and, and I don't think I was wrong. This is an episode of Columbo. Mm-hmm. I mean, it really is. Mm-hmm. This is this yeah. is an episode of Columbo or Barnaby Jones or Cannon, except uh, I want to say that uh, Cannon actually used a gun. 
Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. But I mean, this is this is straight up like four act or five. Well, this is five acts, but this is straight up four act um, detective story, including mm-hmm. the reveal at the end with the flashback of here's what actually happened. You know, this is murder. Yeah. She wrote. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Except right. without the typewriter. Uh, yeah. What about messages? Um, you know, there are interesting ideas here, uh, but some of them conflicting. You know, don't keep secrets. Or do, but do it well. Secrets, yeah, <laughs> if the secrets could could protect someone, I, you know. Well, maybe. Um, you say if the secrets could protect someone, I will say. Do you mind if I interject? If we no, go, go back and forth, yeah. uh, yeah. there, there, the, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. Yep. Or the one yep. is is in this one particular conversation uh, when Picard says, "Well, hey, Deanna's like hurting. Are you going to let that happen?" And they just like, oh, "Let me ask you a question." Uh, well, let's say it was one person or everybody. Then what do you choose? And and right. and you know, Picard's like, "Oh, are you saying this?" And Dave's like, "No, I'm not saying anything. I'm just saying, you know, maybe that's what's going on here." And of course, that's also happening with that uh, with Data. Data's totally willing to sacrifice himself to save everybody else. Now, Data was ordered to do that. I say Data's willing yeah. to. He was ordered to. I assume that he would also be willing to, but you know, who knows whether he actually would be or not. Here's a question that I was wondering though. Mm-hmm. Worf's wrist really bothers me. Yeah, why is that? Does he have to die? Does something have to have happened where this affects Klingon? <laughs> this affects you know Klingon um, physiology differently, and going through the wormhole actually killed him because his wrist is the one thing they're not going to be able to change. Well, they, they can throw away the journals. They can kill the plants. They can, you know, yeah. they can they can get out those potatoes we peeled and bring in right. some unpeeled potatoes. But he's got a fracture in his wrist that they might find one day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because, and and you say, well, you know, you would never kill a wharf, but don't the needs of the many. <clears throat> yeah, but, but you know what? I, it, fortunately, <laughs> it's the Klingon, That's, and, and the well, Klingons don't like to talk about stuff like that. That's true. It, it, it might as well be that kid from uh, Suddenly Human. It's like, oh, broken bones? Uh, it's, uh, you know, it, it's our way. All right, so yeah. so I, I interrupted with the needs of the many, uh, needs of the few. Uh, was there another message that you saw in there? No, I, I well, and just going off of that, I mean, I, I do think you are right there. And we don't really know what will become of this idea that Picard says. I mean, like, like I said, Picard could just as easily order him to override his order. So you don't really know what will become of Data's programming when you give him conflicting orders like this. So we are just saying, okay, well, in this case, Data, you know, your sanity almost is dispensable here hmm. <laughs> because we're we're giving you these orders because we're going to save these really irritating Paxons. You know, they're just <laughs> not enjoyable people. But what we do as Starfleet is we're going to try to save them, so... You know, you'll you'll just have to live with this. I almost think there comes a point when somebody has a memory of what happened or they, they start to kind of put the pieces together again. And Picard just sort of asks Data and Data just sort of gives him like a like a wink and a nod mm. and then freeze frame and roll the credits. <laughs> Big laugh you know? at the end. Yeah. Yeah. You could just kind of end it like that. Um, I would say other messages here. It's kind of like last week. Uh, follow the evidence. You know, even if the evidence leads in a weird place, you just kind of have to follow the evidence. But is there then an underlying message that sometimes it's best to not know? 
you know, because they, the entire crew, over a thousand people, not including data, were saying it's best for them to not know the truth of what happened in this idea of protecting these these other people who, again, are not the friendliest of people to get to know. Well, it's um, partly it's partly protecting these other people, but it's also protecting themselves. I mean, we're given to understand that the Paxons could just, you know, crush the Enterprise. Oh, yeah. yeah. You're point. protecting any other ship that goes near the Paxons. But, but you kind of also then have to ask... Well, if we don't know what to do, do we not know to set up safety cones around the planet or maybe add it to General Order 7? Which is? Uh, going to Talos 4, a death penalty. Oh, I see what you're saying. Wow. Yeah. 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 Do you just add it and then nobody asks any questions, kind of like they do with Talos? <laughs> like, okay, well... We can't go there. Why? Well, I can't tell you, and you're not going to go find out because we'd have to kill you. Yeah, because we'd have to kill you. Yeah, or the or the Paxons might do it. The Pax? Who? That nobody. Yeah, yeah. Right. No, don't worry about it. Yeah, yeah, don't don't worry about that at all. So in the end, I feel like the messages are there, but they also maybe not conflict, but contrast each other. If you were to make messages out of out of what we saw, but maybe the ultimate one, like you said, is. Uh, uh, another needs of the many story and we're just sort of changing up who the few might be in one case it might be data in another case it might be the enterprise in another case it might be the entire federation i'll tell you what's funny what's interesting to me is we're having almost as long a conversation on this episode as one that we actually care about and i'm wondering if it's just Shots. like if, if it's just like we're like there's got to be something here right mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> right i don't know i don't know I I yeah. Uh, do I want to do that? Yeah, I guess I, I'll tell you one thing. I do know, John. Okay. Yeah, Mission Log is produced by Rodden. See, it just gets so tiring, doesn't it? To, to find <laughs> the clever little way to come in and say that Mission Log is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment—that part's not tiring. Executive producer Rod Roddenberry. You can find out more about the great work that Roddenberry is doing at Roddenberry.com, and that's all kinds of stuff. New entertainment things, uh, links to the Roddenberry Foundation. There's a wealth of stuff there to check out, and I do hope you will. Roddenberry.com. Uh, for more exciting Star Trek podcasts, be sure to check out Trek FM. That is Trek.FM. And for the latest in Star Trek news and discussion, be sure to visit TrekMovie.com. Next week, we are back for more with First Contact. Some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp 11, online at Warp11.com, and from the album Messages, by Key Theory, free to download at K-I-Theory.com. I have to go along with John. I am not certain that this episode works, because a computer never forgets. And transmission. Did that seem really short to you? Yeah, I was wondering the same thing. I um, <laughs> I don't remember what happened. It's like you blacked out, right? Oh man, you too? Yeah, yeah. Do you think we did a show? I don't know. Should we do it again? I mean, you know, just in case. (sighs) 